From the boardroom to the shop floor, good business runs on good governance. Join esteemed expert in governance, Dr. Nimrod Dembele, for the next hour as he takes us beyond governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. A very good evening and welcome to tonight's installment of Beyond Governance. Uh, my name is Nimrod Mbele. As always, it's my pleasure to share this space and time with you on this glorious Tuesday as we continue to celebrate uh, Heritage Month despite the restrictions imposed by COVID-19. As you might be aware, we have now entered 189 days since the lockdown and the economy remains, you know, still remains uh, in stale uh, environment. Uh, the last time I checked, we had about 3 million South Africans who lost their job as a result of COVID-19. Uh, this means we are currently sitting with about 37% of South Africans who are unemployed. And this figure could be worse when you use the broader definition of unemployment, which we currently are sitting around 40%. Um, this goes to show how grave the South African economy um, is amidst the, the, the COVID-19. And we have had more and more uh, plans, and my view and the view of most South Africans, that uh, we need to move with speed in terms of implementing what you've already agreed upon. I mean, the issues around, you know, broadband spectrum, auctioning, unbundling of ESCOM, uh, finalizing the land issue. So these are broad, you know, macroeconomic policies that, that needs to be activated with speed. Uh, we continue to push the governance agenda by reflecting on critical issues which shapes the social and economic discourse in this country. Uh, we do this by inviting captains of industry, uh, not just armchair, um, armchair critics who do not provide practical solutions. How do you provide management and leadership uh, solutions if you have not managed or led any organization of substance? One might ask. How do you provide governance insight if you have not, if you have, if you have not been part of any board how do you provide financial analysis uh, if you do not understand the financial modeling and its intricacies? This is why on this show we bring thought leaders with track record in managing complex environment. If you recall last together, uh, we have uh, had an opportunity of um, uh, one of the thought leaders, Ellen Mokoki, who graced the airways by giving us a very insightful view on the Zonal Commission vis-a-vis the economy. Tonight, we are going to continue that kind of a trajectory as we've got yet another uh, thought leader who would give us a sense around uh, market research. If you missed that uh, show last week, not to worry. Do as you do always. Uh, I implore you to go to our website, which is www.highfm.com, download a podcast, share your views with me via our SMS line, which is 34519. The telegram is 061. 895-1095. And of course, I'm going to welcome your thoughts and views via my email, which is nimrod at high2.0.za. As a norm, we don't, you know, kick off the show without acknowledging those, those, those who came before us. On that note, someone based and thank you very much, Dominique Majola. Likewise, thank you very much. Um, as always, I'm not flying solo. Uh, I've got uh, Kabisa Nube, who is the uh, the hand and uh, the legs and the ears and everything of the show. Uh, thank you very much, Tabisa, for coordinating and making sure that we are uh, well on air. In the same round, let me take this opportunity to thank Tab, who is a technical producer of the show. Let's hope tonight uh, we will deliver as we always do. Um, 
we normally start the show by just having a quick reflection of issues of national importance that uh, probably give South Africans a, you know, uh, a, a, well, that keeps them hot under the collar. That's the phrase that I like to use. Uh, what do you make of, as we are reflecting, uh, the, the claims that we've got from the independent media that suggests that the former president, Jacob Zuma, uh, 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 through his lawyers has now, inter- you know, interdicted this judicial commission of inquiry, uh, about, you know, um, well, basically threatening that he will not appear before the, the Zona commission because amongst others that he's been targeted and the judge is, 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 is not, uh, is not impartial. And we have seen the very same kind of, uh, claim or threats by, you know, amongst others, the former Prasa CEO, like Montana, where he himself alleged that the judge, um, had a, had a particular position, which is, which was not fair, um, or which was not impartial. My view, uh, with this issue is very simple. Firstly, one would ask a question, what are the legal implications? Should he withdraw or not appear on the basis that the judge has a preconceived position, which, uh, uh, might, you know, jeopardize his, uh, testimony? What are the legal implications? One would want to know that question. The other question is, um, what sort of precedent are we setting in an event that, you know, he does not appear? Um, so these are issues that uh, we need to keep our eyes on for they have a, a wider economic uh, implication, particularly in a context where we, we are supposedly a, a constitutional democracy, which wherein the rule of law prevails or ought to prevail irrespective of your social standing. Because the, the biggest concern that I have in this particular matter is, is the precedent. If, um, such, you know, uh, claims are allowed to hold. Everybody who is being held before the commission would have those kinds of claim as well. That no, the judge is doing this, the judge is doing that. So therefore I'm not coming. Imagine if everybody who has a political cloud demand the judge, the judge recusal because he or she thinks the judge is biased. And we're not, we're not going to rep this kind of uh, the commission if that is the, the the kind of scenario, you know. But whether the 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 the, 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 the former president has married or not, I'm going to leave it up to you to decide and give your thoughts on it. Anyway, let's move on forward, uh, and, and as we get into the second phase of the conversation, let me uh, take this opportunity to welcome uh, Dr. Sefiso Falala, who is the founder and CEO of. Uh, Plus 94 Research. Our conversation centers around the role of the market research and the extent to which decisions uh, are informed by data and whether South Africans have that kind of an appetite of using market research to scientifically approach their decision making. Uh, I welcome your thoughts again as I'm about to bring in Sifiso here. Uh, our SMS line again is 34519, Telegram is 061. On that note, let me take this opportunity and welcome Sifiso. Good doctor, good evening and welcome to Beyond Governance at High FM. Good evening, uh, Dr. Mbele, and uh, good evening to everyone uh, listening. I'd like to wish you well uh, with your show and also wish everybody well this evening. 
Thank you very much, my good sir. As we are pre- as we are setting the scene, um, I've, I know for the fact that market research is one of those domains that uh, is widely used uh, by competitors uh, and by customers uh, and by pretty much in all the industry as they want to understand the market trends and the buying patterns, uh, whether the economics are shifting and, and which the demographics it's particularly taking cause. Um, I suppose when you are a smart business person or owner, uh, you never underestimate the market research and leverage it creates for your own strategy. But before you get into that, as I'm laying down the scene, let me take this, let me perhaps maybe get to Dr. Falala to give us his thoughts around what is actually, uh, what is market research? Because the, 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 the nerd in me wants to start with the basics. What is market research? Okay, um, market research, uh, I will say that can make a huge difference to the bottom line of your business because knowledge is power. The, you have academic uh, definitions of what market research is being the systematic gathering and analysis of, of data and reporting thereof. Uh, but let's be more practical. Let's look at what it is in reality. It is the identification of critical decision-making information, information that can save you millions, if not billions of brands, and can earn you millions or billions of brands by giving you a competitive advantage over your, your, your rivals. What is important also is to realize that there is the naive view that market research is only about Surveys. Surveys are a part of market research, but many companies do not realize that what is central to market research is information that empowers or enables decision making. Some of this information already exists within the company, but is never utilized. Some of the smaller businesses that are upstarts fail because they do not analyze information about who their customers are where their revenues are coming from, what their expenses are, what is the relationship between their expenses and their revenues. So it's critical information, and when you engage in a process of um, uh, doing research, you are acquiring knowledge that will empower you to make decisions with confidence. I hope that's a fairly abstract description, but I hope it um, suffices at this point. No, yes, 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 indeed. Because I think you you move from the abstract level to more practical level, which is a very useful way of um, sharing your thoughts and your views with the listener. Um, but having said that, um, you're saying it's all about data and the extent to which data inform a decision in in your business. You know whether you know you are able to address the needs of your customers and the extent to which the market trends are moving. If, assuming that kind of thought process um, is a dominant discourse, it's a dominant uh, viewpoint, where are we as South African businesses, where are we as the state in the manner in which we are using data for, for, for decision-making purposes? Uh, well, it depends. You, you, you got different types of companies that have programs that are pre-prescribed for them, uh, to do research prior to 
launching a new product to do research prior to having an advertising or a public relations campaign to do research prior to uh, whatever the company might be thinking of doing. So they structured it. But then you've got companies that are fairly unstructured. I would recommend that we, we have more structure than lack of structure. The biggest lack here, and you see now this international emergence and growth over the last five years of big data, uh, which intimidates a lot of people because of the name big data and the use of terms such as big data analytics and algorithms. But at the end of the day, big data is knowledge that resides within the company, information that the company has. Most of the big companies do not use that information. Some of the reputable companies do not use that information. I'll give you an example. Many companies in services have information about their customers, such as their name, their surname, their address, their telephone number. But how often do you go into these institutions and they even have your biometrics, like your fingerprints, but they ask you to complete a form in which, lo and behold, the first thing you fill in is your name, your surname, and and so on and so forth. So they're not utilizing information that is freely available and readily available to them. And the burden of that information not being used is passed on to, to the customer. So the practice itself of doing market research is overcome by a strong emphasis, a stronger emphasis on the perception that consumers can be overwhelmed and seduced into buying products for as long as we've got good campaigns. You have marketers that do not rely solely on campaigns but believe that they have to back that up with specific needs of the consumer. What is the consumer actually looking for? So I would say that on a score of 1 to 10, I would typically say we're probably sitting at at 5. Our use of research is very, very limited, particularly if you go into the uh, anthropology, that type of research about uh, who we are understanding the different markets and the different market segments. No, thank you very much for that insight, my, my, um, you know, Shafisa. Um, perhaps maybe one issue that you have raised that I think is quite important as we gravitate towards the break, um, it is the issue of, you know, because we operate in a very competitive environment. Um, let's take COVID-19 for an example. It has an, an F whole lot of uh, questionable ethical conduct by by managers, in, be it in the public sector or private sector. Case in point, we have seen and heard the, you know, the, the scandals around, around, you know, PPEs. Um, so that, that introduces a whole lot of issues around ethics and ethical conduct by businesses. To what extent can thought leaders or managers use, um, data analytics to weigh in or perhaps maybe understand uh, where they are in relation to their own decisions? and extent to which that decisions are bedded by ethics. Yes, uh, thanks a lot, Dr. Mbele. It's important for organizations to realize that the research that they do is not 
only about external stakeholders such as customers, but that the most important research that they do should be about internal stakeholders to begin with. Uh, they should understand their own employees. They should understand their own board. What are the underlying motivations, what is the mission, what is the vision, what do they hope to to achieve. Uh, so that type of research is, is very, very important. Uh, in terms of um, the issues such as uh, what, what I referred to earlier as understanding where our society is, that research goes beyond organizations. That research goes specifically to perhaps such institutes as, as the Human Sciences Research uh, Council and other humanities type of uh, state organs that are supposed to look at where we are in our state of evolution as a society. Because the complexity of what you are seeing as human failing or management failing uh, is as a result of um, a fault line somewhere in our society that is difficult to address and research is required to understand why we are where we are and there's a limited amount of that type of research that is being carried out to understand us and without belaboring the point if you look at South Africa it has a, a checkered past uh, checkered past in the sense that they there has been this steep competition for resources between different demographic groups. And because of that competition, people tend to behave in their groups in certain ways. And for that reason, unlike the European society in Europe where you would know that, oh, there was the romanticism period then, which was then followed by modernism and then postmodernism. It's difficult with South Africa to say where exactly we are. Are we a postmodern modern society? Because in a postmodern society, you have different values compared to the values that you would have in a modern society or in a romantic society. So these, this type of information is critically important, and I don't think we're doing enough research in those areas. We are focusing at a superficial level on, okay, what color of the packaging, what color packaging do they want? How do they want this advert? No, thank you very much. You know, while you're at one of the things that, 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 that intrigued me as you are, you know, giving us your thoughts, it would be obviously still around on our own ethics and ethical orientation uh, stance or lens if you're going to use a market research for an example um, is recently for recently we've had issues with with clicks that controversial advert um, that that you might recall would you know would market research be used to turn around or to assess the the sentiments of the customers post this kind of um, the scandal, and to what extent um, managers would be more amenable to use market research to suss out, um, you know, because the brand of organization fail. I mean, I, 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 you know, I've, I've taken a nosedive in a big way. Yes, um, you see, you have uh, again. I go back to anthropology. There are various theories, and one of the theories in anthropology is the theory of diffusion or diffusion, which means that you have different cultures, and stronger cultures tend to swallow uh, smaller cultures or minority cultures. But overall, 
everyone ends up behaving a little bit like the way people in other cultures behave. But at the end of the day, each culture maintains its own imprint or DNA. And for that reason, where there is a feeling in a society like ours that certain cultures are being threatened, people tend to react emotionally and at times violently, as we saw happen in that case. So we need to address both the manifested or symptomatic problem as well as the the actual cause of it. The actual cause of it is that we've actually never really addressed how our cultures are, are fusing and how we can coexist. And one of the theories that one can borrow from in anthropology is the theory of functionalism which looks at society as consisting of these living organisms that are different cultures and they each play a role in helping each other. Now, when you have a situation like what we had at at Clicks, you then have a public fallout because it is seen as an front to a particular uh, culture. So these are things that we need to um, use research for to avoid creative people operating in a way that does not recognize the fact that there are certain cultures that might be sensitive. Sometimes creative people think, oh, we'll just be creative. We'll, we'll do something creative. So there's a warning, there's a stark warning that, that you can't just be creative in a functional society. You need to be culturally sensitive as well. Thank you very much for that insight. Look, we're going to take a break in the next couple of seconds, but perhaps maybe as a precursor for our break, um, one of the things that I want us to, you know, go a little bit more uh, when we come back from the break, it is just that, um, the correlation between uh, market research and brand equity. My assumption is that when you, when an organization uh, is well aware of the positive correlation or the consequences thereof of uh, not aligning, you know, uh, or not using market research how that harms the brand equity and how do you come up from that quagmire let's take the break and come back in a second this is beyond governance with dr nimrod dembele on 101.9 high fm welcome back to uh, beyond governance as we enter the second leg of the show i'm joined online by dr sifiso falala who is a founder and a ceo of plus 94 research our conversation centers around market research or the role of market research in optimizing uh, customer satisfaction or optimizing the bottom line or really getting a sense of how the organization is being viewed. Before we went to the break, I wanted, you know, Sifisa just give us uh, his view around the correlation between branding or market um, between uh, um, the brand equity uh, and an extent to which market research can either enhances and, and whether, you know, captains of industry, whether you're talking your board, your CEOs and so on and so forth, do appreciate the value of market research in terms of infusing the, the, the data as part of their decision making. Yes. Um, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Mbele and to also the, the listeners. Um, the, relationship that exists between a brand and its customers is a mystical relationship that can only be understood by customers. 
as purveyors of services and products, we cannot claim to have exclusive knowledge of the relationship that our customers have with our brands. And for that reason, in order to maintain the trading brand and also in order to uh, build the reputation of the collective set of brands or the company per se, we need to understand that relationship. Our brands cannot exist in a in a vacuum. Today we have 37 million uh, internet users in South Africa, 36.2 million of them access the internet uh, via mobile. Globally, over 4.2 uh, billion users of the internet. There's a lot of information that is passing through their hands online. And as they access this information, their impressions are formed. And one of the things that the COVID-19 has changed is the rapid speed with which people can make decisions. Um, previously, prior to the onset of the fourth industrial revolution, in other words, the upscale in the number of Internet users, you could get away with uh, sort of knowing 50% of your market or 30% of your market. Nowadays, it is almost impossible. And because of the era that we live in, uh, consumers make decisions very, very fast. So once you go on a st- downward, downward spiral, you need to understand what it is that is causing that. It could be product. It could be service. Um, it could be neither of these aspects. It could just be uh, a price. So you need to build your brand around the consumer as, as the center. And in South Africa, most businesses recognize the centricity of the consumer and are actually appreciative of the fact that with the coronavirus, one of the impacts that, that it has had is that businesses need to make decisions and make those decisions very fast. And in order to make these fast decisions that are accurate, they need to have appropriate information about their customers. Yes, indeed. Perhaps maybe when we elevate the same um, narrative at a macro level, so far the conversation um, was more at the organizational level, company level. The same, you know, approach, let's just, you know, take the bus like a hire and apply the, re, uh, you know, research uh, approaches or market research approaches um, and juxtapose that with with the economy of of any country for that matter. Um, we know for the fact that, uh, or personally the question should be, or is, in your view, is research important in a developing economy? And, and are we using it well? Using South Africa as an example. Yes, uh, research is, is, is very important. Uh, we need information in order to uh, act appropriately and save the country's resources. Uh, you can go back a few years to what we had then as, as, as GIA, then we had ASKISA, uh, we had NEPET now, we have the NDP, and all of these things uh, uh, were researched uh, uh, academically, and they made certain proposals about how to transform the economy and take it to the next level where the vast majority of those that are at the grassroots would become more involved and move from a survivalist standard of living to a more comfortable one. And hopefully beyond that to one where they have surplus as well. So everyone wants to move through that. But what happened? So one would hazard to suggest that maybe not enough research was done 
on uh, programs such as GIA, such as ASGISA, NEPET, and probably even the National Development Plan. Uh, it expresses aspirations of a nation desirable outcomes to get everybody to surplus level through comfort levels, but maybe was not consultative enough in terms of how to roll out economic stimulus packages, for instance, through the township economy, through the rural areas, and the relationship between big business and small businesses. So research is the one missing link that we need to make decisions based on on, on informed um, uh, outputs. No, thank you very much for, uh, for that. Interestingly, we make reference to NDP gear uh, and, and somehow Nedlake, um, wherein you, you, you suggested not much research was conducted around specific economic areas, i.e. how do we, you know, uh, massify or roll out programs in townships uh, and the uptake of those kinds of programs, economic programs. Are you therefore suggesting that if we have a very strong research component or research driven, uh, with, with, with market research, I mean, market research kind of approach, we're more likely to have a, a, a greater appreciation of the proposed interventions in the economy. Yes, I am. And, and, and you know, uh, we tend to, because the vast majority of the population is in the survivalist uh, mode. We tend to do things from a top-down approach. So we do consult the academia, the academics, and we do consult some stakeholders such as business and business formations. But we don't do enough to consult those people that we hope will benefit from such such initiatives. And this is where a lot of these pro- programs actually. Uh, fail because they are top down in approach. So one of the things we need to do in involving research is to look at the structure of our society. Our society is structured in pockets, like you have rural people, you've got farming people, you've got mining people, and we must avoid talking down on all of these people and involve them in finding out specifically about each of those groups, what is it that they want and what is it that they aspire to. Because if we don't do that, we end up putting them in boxes whereby they do not feel empowered decisions and they end up lacking ambition and not wanting to progress in life, which is completely wrong. You know, thanks for that, um, Dr. Falala, but I'm inclined to, you know, have a different view. I mean, assuming that we have uh, consulted enough, we have enough research data on economic stimulus, either in the farming community, rural community, and so on and so forth, but there's always an elephant in the room. Why am I bringing the elephant in the room? Let's talk about political will, because we are not a country that is short of good research or that is short of data analytics or data to inform the kind of decision that we, we, we are making. Let me qualify my, 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 my supposition. You know, uh, I think a while ago we had a conversation with the, the, the CEO of a Black uh, Business Council. And he said to us, you know, categorical, that we have enough data in this country. We've got enough to make sound decisions. And yet the political will is, 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 is missing. What your take would be, because 
we can have all these good things that you have made reference to, which are, are quite useful and important. I acknowledge that. But what would you say is the elephant in the room from where you're sitting? Yeah, I think if you look at a lot of the the, the policies of of, of government, um, and also you look at the manifestos, we had elections recently of the political parties. The political will is there, and what many business people do say is that we fall short when it comes to implementation. So the will to implement, to start these initiatives is actually there. We must not confuse um, uh, lack of operational competence for lack of political will. I think the will is there but when it comes to operationalizing, getting things going, not everybody is able to do it. And the research, therefore, should be about who should do it, who is the driver of this train, and who will be there to help that person to do this thing. So we now know as, as, as a collective, as a country, that we have a serious challenge when it comes to implementation of programs that have been researched sufficiently enough for them to be successful. So we need to be looking at those skills. We need to be looking at the fact that once you have a specific assignment, you cannot just deploy any person to to, to operate uh, that, that particular engine. So you're, you're, you are saying, therefore, uh, we should draw a distinction between a political will from operational a competency regiment, if you like. Um, the biggest challenge from where you're sitting, as I'm trying to decipher what you've just said, is the the absence of capacity at the state level, you know, to implement programs, uh, even though those programs would have been informed by sound research. So the biggest question is we do not have competencies that are required to translate plans into action. Am I, am I correct to, 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 you know, is that the, the kind of uh, trajectory that you are putting forward? 100%. And I will share a secret with you that you do not need to tell to anybody. If you do, that will be a break of confidentiality. <laughs> and, 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 and that, that a breach of confidence. And that secret is this. How, how am I so sure of this? I'm so sure of this because if you look at all of these grand ideas, you, you hardly ever see the KPIs. For any idea at that level where you are seeking to transform a population of 60 million people, ideologically, physiologically, culturally, and, and otherwise, you actually do need KPIs and you need to say that the responsible parties for this program are one, two, three, and four, and these are the KPIs. Now, the political will is there, the plan is there, but nobody has any specific quantifiable deliverable that they'll be held up against. And it seems to be in our DNA not to request specific quantifiable uh, KPIs. A lot of our KPIs relating to mega projects at the state level tend to have qualitative outputs. So we want to transform this. Remember that you need to quantify the word transform. We want to transform that by how much, by when, by whom, 
and so on. So these are the things that are missing. And if you say to any individual that you must ensure that the NDP is successful, is successful, he's going to say which part, by how much, in which region, in which province, in which uh, town, and so on. So we don't have KPIs. And KPIs do require further research. You need specific research. You need to understand who's able to deliver on those specific KPIs. That's a very interesting observation, Dr. Falala, um, around the, the need to break down, you know, um, the, or at least put, put forward, um, you know, key performance indicators on some of this mega project. I mean, we all agree that you cannot manage one, what you cannot measure. Any project that you put forward needs to have quantifiable variables that would make sense. Uh, which leads to my thinking around compliance, because when you look at any government, you know, annual plan or any government strategy, we'll have the KPIs, we'll have key performance areas, we'll have KPIs, we'll have outcome, we'll have outputs, um, and we've got timelines. And these are, they don't, they, they fail to migrate from paper to action that happens on the street. Which means, in my understanding, which means some of these issues were just meant, you know, from a compliance point of view, and and they they fail to find expression in the townships, in rural areas, in in the farms. Yeah, so we're missing the middleman. You know, you have the uh, definition of the problem that's done uh, by those experiencing the challenges in the population. That research is done maybe by the Human Sciences Research Council. And then you have the refinement of the problem. That's probably done by academics, this university, Stellenbosch. They refine that problem and they come up with the white paper and the recommendation. Now, then you have that white paper and the recommendation and we talk about it, we publicize it. You need the intermediary. You need somebody that will break it down into chunks. You need somebody that will allocate responsibility and quantify outcomes uh, for each substantive area uh, specifically. If you look at China, one of the reasons why the Chinese economy could grow persistently by 9% and higher was simple. They would go to each region. In our case, it would be each province. And they would say to the premier for that province, your KPI is the economy of this province must grow by 9%. And then, Nothing else. then you come up, uh, that's a KPI for the premier, the economy must grow by 9%. Now, when that is put in place, that will be the basis for your performance appraisal. Then he or she can uh, rally uh, troops around that that target. But if there is no target, for some reason... It is taboo for us to set targets. I'm not sure I understand why. It's, it's funny I'm saying this as a research person, but we should actually investigate ourselves as to why it is taboo to set specific uh, quantifiable targets because this is the intermediary that is missing between problem identification, synthesis, solution provision, and implementation is that conveyor belt that we don't have. Talking of KPIs, have you seen the KPIs for the ministers under the fifth administration? 
I have not seen them, but I, I, I assume that uh, you, you have seen them and, and, and probably you could, you could share. Uh, but what I can assume is that they don't have numbers that are attached to them, that they are very broad and qualitative in nature. Well, that's something that I know in the previous administration, um, the, the then uh, President Jacob Zuma, uh, you know, came out and introduced the whole point of uh, setting KPIs for the cabinet. And we know what has happened. Uh, you know, we have had ministers that were founding, that were found wanting every other day, but they were still there, which meant there was no point of having those KPIs when people were sort of um, uh, riddled with all sorts of controversies. Uh, which 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 went against any development, and yet they were still there. So I suppose again, it is one of those things where you have you, you say you say the right things for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I think the KPIs are there. It's just that the public doesn't know what they are. Um, so the KPIs are there because you see a minister retained from one government, one parliament session to the next one and so on through the years. So they are, they are obviously doing well on whatever the KPIs are. And in the essence of, as a democracy, the public has a right to know what the KPIs are because the public is the main beneficiary of governance. So when government is operating, all the things that we are doing as a government is for the benefit of the public. And therefore, the government should know that, oh, no, if I have a Minister of Health and Sanitation by such and such a time, this is what I should have. So the KPIs are obviously there. You know, we cannot assume, but they are just not public KPIs. I couldn't agree with you more because if they were public KPIs, we would have known about them and would use them as a basis to, to judge or make pronouncements on whether Minister A is performing or not performing. But be that as it may, we will just leave it at that. Uh, as we move forward, personally, one of the critical questions that I want to put before you as we are approaching the wrapping up is the, 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 the whole point of research industry and the extent to which the, any political administration is appreciative of the research of research industry. Any of you, is the, is the needle moving uh, upward or is it dwindling around research industry? Uh, there's a history to this. I think our industry has grown um, in stature over the, the years uh, since 1994. It's much bigger, maybe doubled in size compared to what it was 26 years ago. So, but also at the same time, the, the economy is, is growing. Um, you cannot speak about the role of the research industry and its stature without talking about respect and accord that is afforded the average person in the street. Because the research industry is the interface, it links business to the, to, to the average person in the street. And we have these a uh, legacy of uh, uh, decision-making that can still be funneled into bigger groups. Um, and when people are all in a lower segment income-wise, they tend to be more homogenous within that group. As you go up and up and up in the income uh, segment, people tend to be more heterogeneous. But they have more choices and they, they express themselves in that way. So because we've got such a, a large population, there's an assumption made that we can just come up with a, a policy and 
put it through and then we'll have a big campaign, convince everybody. So the status of the consumer is not where it should be, particularly at the lower end. We need to elevate the status of the consumer so that each consumer is treated as an individual, not as part of a group of millions of people. And so that's where we stand right now at, at many, at many, many levels. And if you look at higher income groups, yes, they, they get more respect at different institutions and they're treated as individuals, even called by names when they go to various institutions. No, thank you very much for that. If you've just joined us, uh, we're having a very interesting conversation with Dr. Sifisa Falala, who is a founder and executive at uh, Plus94 Research. Our conversation is around the role of market research uh, and the extent to which market research is finding expression in quality decision-making across the board, whether you're talking private sector, whether you're talking public sector, ultimately there's a... a, a very central role which market research play in informing, uh, you know, powers that be around the kind of decision that, that they are making. As we are, you know, literally gravitating towards the dead end, what are your thoughts about the most important types of research that we need as a country? Yeah, I think different institutions need to do different types of research and certainly uh, the state organs or the state needs to look at uh, uh, the human anthropology where we are as a, as a people. Um, as I mentioned, we are evolving very, very fast and uh, the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic is demonstrating that, that we're having to adopt habits that we never ever thought we would have to adopt in such a, a short space of time. So it's important to look at all the cultures in South Africa, including um, um, even the sign language, all the, to investigate them and see where they are, to look at their value systems and to treat them with respect so that there's a, a deeper appreciation of the different uh, cultures. But as far as business is concerned, business needs to look at the relationship that it has with consumers, particularly looking at how consumers behave in relation to their products and, and services and products and services of their customers. And what is also particularly important is to do market segmentation to understand lifestyles. We cannot define lifestyles purely based on the fact that you have access to water and electricity. That's not sufficient to define you. So we need to understand uh, lifestyles life stages. So those are the most important um, uh, types of research that I would say are important. Businesses that will succeed in future would tend to have a personal relationship with all of their customers, not just those that are in higher LSM groups, but all of their customers. But but at the state level, what would you suggest be the critical role of market research. I'll tell you why I'm asking this question. South Africa is one of the most undivided uh, countries in the world. And we have seen, you know, the, 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 the Taga brand, the, the clicks, the H&M, those kinds of uh, outlets that has somehow um, uh, led to outcry in terms of the public perceptions. Um, what would your role, what would be the role of market research in elevating or promoting social cohesion? 
No, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's it's very difficult to understand what the South African uh, project is. In America, they have this American dream. Uh, and in South Africa, we lack that uh, consensus around the one or two or three main ideas that we need to be pursuing. And this is where research is needed to carve out a, a mission statement for the country that this is the national project that we should all rally up around. We, we all see when there's sport, we win the World Cup and that everyone is excited for that because there's really nothing else that we, we should be excited about as a collective. So the nation should be looking at what is that South African dream? What is that consensus? What is that one thing that we should all be agreeing on? And and, and research is needed specifically in that area. I could not agree with you more. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Sifiso Falala, for bracing Beyond Governance at High FM with your presence tonight. I am sure the listeners have thoroughly enjoyed um, your perspective on a very difficult subject, i.e. research. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mbele, and thank you so much uh, uh, for the honor uh, of uh, um, uh, that I've had uh, being listened to by everyone that listens to your show, and uh, good evening to you. Thank you very much. Uh, let's take our next conversation on a run of golf. How's that? No, I think you punished the golf ball far too much. <laughs> I, I actually felt so sorry for the ball. Uh, when I saw the way in which you hit it, but uh, I'll probably after I've recovered from this, I'll probably take you up. <laughs> Thank you very much. There we are. We, that was Sifiso Falala, who's the CEO of Plus94, really giving us an interesting view and insight on the role of market research. As we are literally closing down, I just want to give you a heads up in terms of what I have installed for you for next week. We have, uh, you know, Hamid Rashaba, who is the former mayor of City of Johannesburg, and who's also the leader of Action SA, a movement which he launched on the 29th of August. So Mr. Mashaba will come through next week, so stay tuned. Uh, as always, uh, I value your contribution. Uh, let's see what he's got in store for us. Uh, it just could be one of the solutions that we all want. Until we Until we meet again next week, stay safe, be safe, and have a good evening. Thank you.